If you ever find yourself asking the question, should I go drop a deuce before I do this thing? The answer is always yes. Yes, you should. If I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our world. I'm your host, Trevin Campbell. It's great to have you. <laughs> it is August 29th, and I've got a pretty good fair to Midland, I'll say. I, I have a fair to Midland show for you this week. In The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to talk about opening your heart to hell. That's right. We always hear about opening your heart to heaven, or opening your heart to Jesus, or opening your heart to God. Well, what about the man downstairs? Doesn't he get a chance to win a position in your heart of hearts? I would argue that yes. Yes, he do. <laughs> in uh, Infernal Informant, we're going to be talking about ISIS, yo. <laughs> what everyone has been wanting to talk about for as long as they've been around, we're going to bring it home here with ISIS K. Now, it's not like Special K, whereas it's a kind of a delightful crispy cereal this is probably as popular you know it's really only popular amongst fanatics that knew you know from the original brand back in the day when it came out as like the healthy diet choice cereal but no one really gives a fuck anymore i mean when you have a a ground paved with like reese's peanut butter cup cereal or uh, Cheerios dominating the ce the cereal space. No one gives a fuck about the ISIS K, right? Anyway, we're gonna close it out with a little bit of a conversation about uh, the old ways, which is a film that I just watched last night, and I kind of lost my mind over because it connected me with a moment that I had that relates back to the very beginning topic in the Devil's Advocate. So we'll get into that. It should be a lot of fun. <laughs> Croatian ISIS. All right. Um, what do I have to talk about before we dive into the show? I got notes I got to look at. So this is an early episode today because I'm going to see Candyman with my boy, uh, saying this Cameron John here in just a little bit. And if I, you don't hear from me ever again, if you don't see me ever again, it's because Candyman wasn't good. And if it's not good, then life isn't worth living. <laughs> That's what it comes down to for me. It's Candy Matter Bust, man! So, if this is my last broadcast ever, I said Candyman three more times. <laughs> All right. Um, I was debating. I finally... I didn't actually pick it up. It was gifted to me. I finally got a hold of... Um, Bearing the Devil's Mark. I have never even thought about picking it up before. And then... You know, I sort of put it on a list of, you know, things that I would like, and then someone grabbed it for me. So now I have it. And I'm thinking, the only satanic, like, satanic book that I have never really gotten my hands on is, uh, oh, what's his name? The Sass one, I think. 
I think I have every single other satanic book released. And so I started thinking, maybe, maybe I should start doing reviews of these, right? Maybe I should, I should read the satanic Bible again and then give a review of what I think. And I think the difference of me talking about Satanism or me sort of hyping up what it means to be a Satanist or the struggles that we Satanists have to endure that are, you know, kind of original to being a Satanist uh, or some of the hurdles that we have to navigate uh, in our, our culture and our society. You never really think about what the quality of the source material actually is, you know? You just think, oh, well, you know, I'm going to apply this to my life. Well, maybe the Satanic Bible, and I'm not giving you a review here, I'm just saying, maybe there's parts of it that just aren't that good. And you would never hear that outside of a review because it's always just Satanists hyping up the Satanic Bible. What about other Satanic books? Now, the only downside to providing reviews for Satanic books is that for those still living who have written said books, they might get a little hurt with the result of the review. But is that reason enough not to provide the review? Because ultimately, you're not providing the review for the sake of the author. You're providing the review for the sake of other Satanists on whether or not they should spend their hard-earned money on said satanic book. So I kind of wonder, is it worth potentially ruffling feathers if it serves Satanists in the long run. Something I'm thinking about. You guys let me know if, if you think I should. You have it, Cameron? Yeah, let me borrow it. And I swear I won't throw it across the room like the last Star Wars book you let me borrow. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> um, anyway, it's something I'm seriously considering doing. Because the truth is, is I'm often surprised on how much I enjoy some material and then shocked at how little I enjoy some other material. And it's really all over the board, right? So I think I kind of want to do it. Anyway, it's a thought. Let me know. William, how you doing? Thanks for joining live, man. It's good to see you. KB, hi. <laughs> Jason, thanks for joining. Good to see you. Fareeth, what up? Jameson, wish I had some of you. Not literally you, just the liquor. <laughs> Scott, how you doing? Good to see you. Cameron, about to see you in a, just a couple few. Looking forward to that. And Lucas K. You share the last name with Isis K? Is that what this is? <laughs> We're going to find out. Inquiring minds want to know. Um, all right. That's all I had. Let's dive into a little devil. I feel like the light's bright. Is that too bright? I feel like that's too bright. Hold on. Give me a little less. A little heavy on me. I'm staring into a camera that's right below a huge light. And so, like, the brighter the light, the more headache I have after the show. But also the more lit up it is behind me. And, and the truth is I want you focusing on me, not what's behind me. Um, Valis. Valis, good to see you. Um, yeah, and actually, Cult Dad, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining live. I would, uh, I would err on the side of never giving any opinions on anything unless asked, as kind of comes with satanic territory, except I run a damn show about Satanism. And it's 
the only aspect of the religion that I have never talked about. I've had people on to sort of hype their books, but I've never given an honest review of said books. Not once. Ever. So, I don't know. I don't know. And the truth is, is no one would ever know unless they asked Satanists, hey, what do you think of this satanic book? But do you honestly expect to get an honest answer from a Satanist about a satanic book? You would like to think that, yeah, you would. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. There's a little too much glad-handing, a little too much back-padding, undeserved, in my opinion, amongst Satanists. They think, hey, just because you are also identifying with said religion, I must therefore support all of your endeavors, regardless of how worthwhile or high or low in quality that endeavor may be. And if we really are discerning individuals. But the other side of that is I wouldn't go out of my way to shit on someone. Like, I'm not an asshole. You know, if, if I didn't enjoy it, I would give critical reasons why in a constructive critique, I wouldn't just shit on that collection. You know what I mean? I would be professional about it because though you may not be able to tell, I am a professional. Anyway, that's what I think. Let's do a little devil's advocate. All right. I, I was thinking about this today, and this could be sort of given an, as a, a disclaimer for all of my opinions <laughs> forever, right? You've probably heard this stuff before. If you tune into this show on even a semi-regular basis, you've probably heard these ideas before. Um, I try to approach each week with a different topic or perspective on a topic or avenue of thought or something, right? Something that, that will, one, bring you back, but also give you something to think about while you're here and then afterward. Um, the truth is that I will just ultimately tread the same ground from time to time. It's not an intentional thing. It's just that I've been doing this for so long, it's inevitable at this point. Uh, so if I've covered any of this before, Roll with it or turn this off. It's your choice, whatever you want to do. Or give me an honest critique and tell me how shitty it is. Uh, but anyway, the, the, the topic of this devil's advocate is opening your heart to hell. And this, may, this discussion may take a different turn than you're expecting. Because ultimately, as Satanists, we see heaven and hell, these sort of abstract ideas, which are very abstract to Satanists, uh, as sort of the here and now. And it all depends on how you engage with the here and now. How much control you have over your life, where you are in any given moment in your life, whether you feel like you're living in hell or whether you feel like you're living in some sort of paradise that you've created, you've cultivated for yourself, right? But there are certain aesthetics associated with this idea that I want to sort of pin down here. So bear with me. There's this... Okay, and, and 
I want to also give another addendum, a little disclaimer, an addendum to the disclaimer, if I might. Uh, and that's, if you came to Satanism through atheism, this will not make any connection with you. I came to Satanism through the occult. I very much was born with this sense of magic uh, about the world, this desire, this wonder, this... I, I don't have the need to explain everything away. I can just accept when things are strange or be okay with experiencing unexplained things. So if you go through the world having to like have a name to everything or else it just doesn't exist to you, if you don't believe in greater standing magic, if you've never practiced ritual before, none of this is going to make any sense to you. So just disregard or turn this off. If you have connected with these ideas before, if you do right now connect with them, then please sit in, lean forward, get your popcorn, and let's jump right into it. Because there is this exotic element to Satanism that attracts those of us who came into it from the occult side and not the uh, atheistic side. It's the aesthetics. It's the trappings. It's the ritual. It's the idea of satanic magic, right? You came in before you even read the Satanic Bible in most cases, and you were completely uninformed about the religion, as everyone is before they read the Satanic Bible, and you're attracted to the imagery, whether it's the rituals or the altar itself, maybe it's the nude altar, maybe it's the doctor, LaVey himself, just his own visual appearance, that striking portrait on the back of the Satanic Bible. Maybe it's the sigil of Baphomet. There's something about this religion that kind of titillated you, perhaps frightened you a little bit. And depending on your background is going to, you know, sort of define and, and inform how you felt about it when you first came into this thing. But there's some sort of magic that just sort of dug its claws in you, right? These demons tempting you into the pit and you reluctantly or excitedly dove in at the invitation. However, traditionally that's referred to as first phase, right? Satanists like to sort of look down on or degrade in their own ways the idea of first phasers because they don't fully understand Satanism. But the truth is, no Satanist would exist if it weren't for the first phase because that's what attracted us to it. That's what drew us to it. We would never have even looked if it wasn't for that, right? So we can't just dismiss it. It's an integral part of this religion for us. We need to hold on to it. And whether this exposure to other Satanists is what ultimately diminishes that exoticism, that excitement, the dark fright that comes with connecting with Satanists and moving on to the next phases of Satanism wherever you are in your life, that means that you sort of tamp down or you just lose that sense of wonder and excitement that this religion once held for you. There's exception to every rule. This is not a one-size-fits-all, but it happens from time to time. I think it's easy to lose that sense of exoticism that this religion emanates through exposure, right? And it's not necessarily because of any individual Satanist or group of Satanists. Um, it's just the reality that exposure creates familiarity and normality. 
and in a religion that is anything but normal, that celebrates looking at the world completely differently, you don't want to normalize it. And so you want to hold on to that sense of terror, that sense of magic, that sense of fright and mystery that originally attracted you to this wonderful religion. Because let's be honest, if it weren't for those aesthetic trappings, it would just sort of be life, right? You'd just be living your life. You wouldn't call yourself a Satanist. It's because of that formation, those, those visual elements, that connection to that darker side of your own psyche, that darker side to nature. That's why you call yourself a Satanist. And if you lose it, then why even call yourself that? If you don't engage in ritual, this is me speaking for myself, why even call yourself that? So the idea of opening your heart to hell, for me, is simply another way of saying, let's keep Satanism exotic. Let's keep it exotic through aesthetics, let's keep it exotic through perspective, and let's keep it exotic through practice. So some of the ways that you can do that. Again, these tips have been shared by many people for forever, uh, but keep your ritual implements put away. Don't have them constantly around you because then they become something special. You only pull them out when you want to do something special with them. They maintain that magic. Allow your imagination to run wild in and out of the ritual chamber. So for me, when I enter the ritual chamber, I literally open the gates to hell. I open this extra dimensional portal that allows demons and devils to enter my brothers and sisters, and they grant me that which I ask because I'm willing to work for it, and I am one of them. It's this wonderful sense of connection with elements of nature that are never seen in reality, only in the ritual chamber. But if you have a sense of imagination, if you can suspend disbelief in a theater or in the ritual chamber, maybe even at a concert, why not when you're just sitting home alone and you hear a bump or a scratch? Why don't you just engage that part of your brain that shuts off rational thinking and let a little bit of terror in? Let a little bit of magic. Maybe it's not terror for you. Maybe it's just wonder. Maybe it's excitement. Maybe it is your brothers and sisters from the fucking pit coming to simply share a moment with you. And just because you're not in the chamber doesn't mean that you can't enjoy in this aspect of life, right? I dare any one of you to drive out into the forest, park your car, turn off your headlights, and just walk 20 yards into the woods and tell me that you do not feel something. That is the sense of wonder that I'm talking about you tapping into. That is what's going to keep Satanism alive in you. Because the truth is, is that Satanism just doesn't exist in these books. These ideas are not simply in the world because Anton LaVey accumulated them and wrote them down and published them. They're here because it's a part of the world we live in. And it's a part that you can connect with, even outside of the decompression chamber. 
And that's exciting. That is terrifying. That is thrilling. And that will keep Satanism far from being normal. That will keep your connection to hell, to the darkness, to those demons of our ancient ancestors alive. It just allows you a moment of communion with hell that I love so much that I fear so few others celebrate. Another way of doing it is to embrace myths and mysteries. I want to believe in aliens. I want to believe in ghosts. I don't. But I want to. And so I embrace those ideas. And in a given situation where those ideas may pop up in the same way of demons and devils or terrors in the dark might come out to frighten you, embrace them in the moment that you're experiencing those what-ifs. Because that brings joy, ultimately. That brings wonder, right? It reduces you from your adult brain to your child brain, and magic is real in that moment. Scare yourself. Yeah, it's scary. That's the point. But you can do it. You can turn off that part in your brain. You do it for films. You do it for ritual. Do it in other ways. Allow yourself to be a child again. Remember what it was like when you didn't have answers, when you didn't know why the sky was blue, when you didn't know that you were on a rock hurling through space. Put yourself in that perspective and just enjoy it. It's the reason why people take drugs, but you don't need drugs to experience it. You've already gone through it. You already know what it feels like. Put yourself in those places again and truly bask in the experience opening um okay so if, if it if you take the approach greater magic requires of suppressing your cognitive mind in, in other environments it can help to maintain the exotic and terrifying nature that this religion once held as a promise right being able to shift your perspective enough to celebrate these moments that are irrational that you know simply are not real and are not happening but you can still appreciate them and appreciate the fear or the excitement or the titillation that they give you, that will keep that magic alive for you. And though not every experience is going to connect back to Satanism as a religion, you can apply that same act to the religion. So instead of denying and looking down and shitting on the idea of first phase Satanism, celebrate it. And return to it from time to time. Because it's going to keep this religion fresh. Even when you've been talking about it. Even when you've been living it. Even when you've been expressing it in your own life. For decades and more. Do not let yourself normalize. A religion that is not normal. That's it. Let a little hell into your heart people. All right, what do you have to say here? <laughs> Morning, sinners. How you doing, Brad? Good to see you, man. Oh, all right. Let's see. Horatio, good to see you. Thanks for joining. Uh, fear of rejection is actually an illusion. If you tried and failed, you can find your right place in the world of dark religion. I'm going to have to deconstruct that statement there. Um, 
Adapt, overcome, evolve. Change the beast and feel the fire. That's the other thing. I mean, the reason why I wanted to talk about this is purely because I, for me, it's easy, and I'm sure it is for everyone else. For me, it's very easy to just think of Satanism as another religion. It's one I connect with. It's the one I've chosen, but it's just another religion. And the truth is, is it's not. It's never been just another religion. It, it speaks to the core of who and what we are as humans, but specifically as our version of humans. It's not this aspirational experience. I mean, for some people, they want to be a Satanist because they see some Satanists and they, you know, they want to be like that. But that's the wrong idea to come into this religion with anyway. The truth is, it's about lifting yourself up. That's really what it's all about, right? But there's this dark aesthetic tied to it that is just so beautiful. Don't let it get washed away. And here's the worst part about this. It's washed away by allowing it to become normal. It's also washed away by not celebrating the aesthetic. It becomes washed away by celebrating the aesthetic too much. If all you're doing is draping yourself in evil iconography, right? Choose your, choose your poison of that iconography. But if that's, if, if you are your aesthetic, then you're no longer an individual. You're that person. You're that kind of a person. You're the hot topic kid. You know, you're the Halloween store kid. You're not an individual at that point. Now, what do you expect? When people meet you, they don't see you as a powerful individual Satanist. They see you as the hot topic kid. They see you as the Halloween kid. There's no power in that. In fact, you're doing yourself a disservice by doing that because you become a joke. You become a sort of a passe caricature of a Satanist. Can argue that's worse than normalizing the religion. Uh, that purity of emotion is lost as you get older. I miss the abstract fear sometimes. As a kid seeing shadows more moving and changing, it seems to be the scariest thing ever. Now that you're just fearful of losing your wife, etc. Yeah, cult dad, I, I, that's the, the, the curse of growing up, right? I, I think... I had a conversation about this in the first Greater Magic episode, and I think it was um, Magister Bill M., Reverend Bill M. at the time, who said it. But I had brought up this idea of, well, a candle, there's nothing mystical about a candle. And um, he said something around the lines of, yeah, simply because you know how a candle works doesn't make, make it not magical. You put it in the context of a ritual, and suddenly the candle becomes magical, right? So put your mind in the context of magical thinking, of uh, uh, being able to be terrified, of opening the gates of hell and just experiencing what comes out from your mind by doing that. It's putting yourself in the context that matters, not the, the fact that you have a brain or you, know, you are an individual that, or you're an adult and you don't think like that anymore. That doesn't matter. You can always get there. You just have to be willing to get there. 
Uh, recognizing and seeking out decompression locations in the world is equally as important as having your own tailored environment. Hell yeah. And I might add, it's essential for lycanthropy, right? Look up uh, How to Become a Werewolf, the essay by Anton LaVey. It's fantastic. And it's important to find those locations that resonate. And here's the thing, like a lot of us are going to feel the same weird connections, whether it's a scary, creepy forest or whether it's a scary, creepy house. A lot of us are going to feel those same sort of vibrations simply because that's the way humans are, right? We share connections because we're shared species. Um, but we are individuals and what might be terrifying to me might be comical to you and vice versa. And so it's important to be open to when you experience these feelings to sort of make a mental note of them because you may want to return to them at some later date on your own and just experience that emotion again, right? Because it, again, it may just not be a, a scary house or it may not be a, a scary forest. It could be something obscure like the teacups at Disneyland, you know, wherever you happen to find yourself. I don't know why I gave that example. That's weird. Um, it's never too late to dust yourself off and pick yourself up and start walking in the direction of personal success and happiness and dreams. You're 41 years old now and not stopping. All right. Yeah. Good on you, man. Uh, okay. Anyway, I, I think that's, I think I got my point across here. Just be open to experiences. All. That's all really. During rituals, I envision the magic. I can visualize the gates of hell. I envision the entire ritual. Visualization, uh, visualization, blah. The visualization creates intense emotions inside of you. Yeah, Brad, for sure. That's how, how you do. All right, let's do a little Infernal Informant. I actually had a really cool image. Hold on, I'm going to show you just because I love this, love this painting. This is a section of it. But this is going to be the image for the conversation, <laughs> which I totally forgot to throw up. Damn it! Ugh! Curse of my life. Just getting on to talking, not getting on to showcasing. All right. What is ISIS-K, the group that claimed responsibility for the Kabul attack? So, for those of you not aware. Um, uh, President Biden uh, followed through with the uh, plan that President Trump put into place of evacuating all of sold U.S. soldiers from Afghanistan this year. He did so. Uh, a lot of people were upset because it was so sudden and so quick, even though the generals had months to plan and didn't seem to do that. I guess they just assumed Biden would be as easily controlled as Trump was and they would just end up staying in place. But the truth is, is he did what the past two presidents promised to do and failed to do and that's get out of afghanistan we're not there for a reason so last thursday there was a bombing a lot of people thought it was the taliban which would make no sense because they were the ones coming into power peacefully on our exit so why would they you know fire on us on our way out, that would just make us stay further. So obviously it wasn't the Taliban. It ended up being the people who claimed it was the ISIS-K. And a lot of you may remember ISIS, that Syria militant movement that came in in the vacuum of us 
for no reason attacking Iraq and tearing down that whole regime, even though I think ultimately it was probably for the best interest of mankind to do so, it was done in such a horrible way that it left this horrible vacuum inside of Iraq to allow ISIS to come into power. Well, this is the special K version of ISIS. <laughs> this is the K. Um, so, what is it? Well, here we go with the article. This is from CBS News. The terrorist group that claimed responsibility for Thursday's attack on Kabul, was, which killed 13 U.S. service members and at least 170 Afghans, is an offshoot of ISIS known as ISIS-K, an affiliate of ISIS, the group that spread into northern Iraq from Syria six years ago and once controlled territory roughly the size of Britain. ISIS-K first emerged in Pakistan around the same time in 2015. Its members have come from other Pakistani militant groups, including disillusioned Taliban fighters. What ISIS-K did was lure disaffected others, said Seth Jones, director of the Transitional Threats Project at the Center for Strategic International Studies. Its members generally hold the view that members of the Taliban are impure and not extremist enough. ISIS-K is also known for its fanaticism and is more brutal than the Taliban. The K in the name signifies Croatian province, a region encompassing parts of Afghanistan and Pakistan. ISIS-K views itself as a global operation, as Al-Qaeda did in 2001, and seeks to re-establish the historic boundaries of the province, which also extend beyond Afghanistan to parts of Iran and Central Asia. Where does it operate? Well, primarily, it operates in northeastern Afghanistan in the Kunar province, according to analysts, and has recently bolstered positions in and around Kabul. ISIS-K conducted 77 attacks in Afghanistan during the first four months of 2021, according to the UNSC June report, a big spike from the 21 during the same period in 2020. How big is ISIS-K? Well, primarily, it operates in... I'm sorry... Uh, ISIS-K has never been a large network. At its peak, it numbered four to 6,000, and today has less than half that. A July report by the UN Security Council estimated the group now had between 500 to 1,200 fighters, but has the capacity to increase to 10,000. Early on, the group received support and funding from core ISIS leadership in Iraq and Syria, which enabled it to spread into Afghanistan. The U.S. has taken action against the group in the past with airstrikes that killed ISIS-K's first, second, third, and fourth emirs. By some estimates, American forces killed 75% of its fighters. In 2017, the U.S. annihilated ISIS-K strongholds in Afghanistan's Nonghar province with a massive ordnance air blast. The largest conventional bomb in the U.S. arsenal, commonly referred to as the mother of all bombs, that explosion killed 96 ISIS-K members. 200 ISIS-K fighters surrendered to U.S. troops in August 2018, but Army General Joseph Votil, formed head, uh, I'm sorry, former head of the U.S. Central Command, still maintained the terrorists were not reconcilable and must be eradicated. Now, I want to stop really quick because this is the idea that continues this nonsense. When Bush went into Afghanistan the first time and started this whole thing, right? We went in with the intention of killing bin Laden because of September 11th attacks. Justifiably so. Afghanistan 
and the Taliban offered to hand over bin Laden at that time. And America said that it would not negotiate with terrorists. So here we are. We had an opportunity to end it. We chose not to. And now we're in the shit where we have bombed and drone strike so many civilians that people like ISIS-K can go from 500 to 10,000 members because of our own actions. Because we don't think beyond the moment, it seems. So when Army General Joseph Vodal says that the terrorists who are actively giving themselves up to us are not reconcilable and must be eradicated, they're giving up. Let them give up and end it. But your continued destruction of innocence is the reason, because it's all collateral damage, or we're just throwing in drone strikes like Obama did for years, knowing that there was no intelligence that there were Al-Qaeda or any enemies of the state in the areas that they were striking, but just that they were striking. Terrifying kids so much that they were afraid to go outside because they could hear the drones flying over and they didn't know if they were going to be blown up next. Those terrified kids are turning into modern warfare fighters radicalized by ISIS-K because of us. A small number of ISIS fighters were able to, as the network's motto says, remain with stand in the Middle East, expanding its network of cells in the Sinai Peninsula and Sahel region of Africa. In recent months, ISIS-K has rebounded and is considered to be active and dangerous, as Thursday's bombing in Kabul tragically illustrates. The UN Security Council estimates as many as 10,000 foreign fighters from Central Asia, Southern Russia, Pakistan, and Western China have rushed into Afghanistan in recent months. And while a majority have teamed up with the Taliban or Al-Qaeda, others joined ISIS-K. ISIS-K's ranks likely also grew in recent weeks. Earlier this month, video emerged that showed thousands of inmates, including former Islamic State and Al-Qaeda fighters, escaping from the jails in Bagram and Pula Sharkin, Sharki, sorry, as if I mispronounced that, as the Taliban gained power. Puli Sharki Prison, the largest prison in Afghanistan, housed approximately 5,000 prisoners in Kabul's outskirts. Pentagon spokesman John Kirby acknowledged to reporters thousands of those prisoners were likely ISIS-K members. So, what is its ideology? While the Taliban is focused on enforcing its version of Sharia law in Afghanistan, ISIS-K has bigger aspirations to establish an Islamic caliphate across the Middle East and Asia. The two groups are rivals, and the attack Thursday, beyond the fatalities and injuries it wrought on U.S. service members and Afghan civilians, was meant to undermine the Taliban, which has been cooperating with the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and to cast doubt on the ability of the Taliban to govern and maintain order and security in the country. ISIS-K viewed the Taliban's deal with the U.S. as a betrayal of jihad, the struggle against Islam's enemies. It has denounced the Taliban's takeover of Afghanistan. Now the group wants credit for helping drive the Americans out of Afghanistan, says Tom Warwick, former Deputy Assistant Secretary for Counterterrorism at the, at the Department of Homeland Security. ISIS has nothing to do with the Taliban military victory over the former government of Afghanistan, Warwick said, but there is a propaganda war now underway among terrorists and extremists trying to claim victory over the United States. 
And this is where the, the idea of history being his story comes into play. Because often it's the victors who get to rewrite history so that they always come off looking good. We did that really well in World War II, even though Russia, to be fair, took the biggest brunt of all German attack. And they were the ones that, after uh, Hitler went down, still struggled alone as the rest of the Allies abandoned them. And then reneged on the treaty we made with them. So yeah, for all of you saying that Russia is nothing but shit and bad, yeah, they are. Except we had a really good deal with them that we reneged on, which is why the Cold War is a thing. Or was a thing, anyway. Um, anyway, getting off topic there. Um, so, if we had control of their media, then it would be easy to spread our version of reality, right? That no, ISIS-K had nothing to do with us leaving. The Taliban had nothing to do with us leaving. In fact, it was our president doing what the vast majority of U.S. citizens want, and that's for their sons, daughters, fathers, mothers, grandparents to get the fuck out of Afghanistan because there's no reason for us to be there in the first place. And if it takes us having to lose some people in the process, that sucks, but that's what the majority of Americans want in every single poll. And so we take that hard sacrifice in order to get out of something that we should never have been in the first place after Bin Laden died. And by the way, spoiler alert, Bin Laden was not in Afghanistan. So, what's going to be left is ISIS-K, is the Taliban, is Al-Qaeda spinning their own versions of his story to any citizen that is going to be hearing it, telling the, their version of how they threw imperialist America out of their country, how only they can do it, and that's why you need to sign up with them, creating more terrorists, creating more problems. Again, because of our hasty fucking exit, which could have been avoided with the planning that was put in place by Trump. Who is ISIS-K's leader? The UN July report said that Shahab al-Majir heads the group calling him ambitious and describing operations as active and dangerous under his leadership. In an audio tape released Thursday, ISKP spokesman Sultan Aziz Azam provided details of the attack outside Kabul airport and claimed Al-Muhajir supervised its execution. All right, so how lethal... All right. Hold on a second. I saw a comment that my mic was hot, and I'm seeing it spiking in red, and it shouldn't be. Holy shit. Okay, I apologize about my mic being super hot, everyone. It should not have been that high. I don't know why it was. Adjust your volume levels appropriately because this is where it should have been the whole time. I apologize about that. And thank you for the heads up for the person who, who gave me that heads up early on. Uh, sorry, it took me so long to... Uh... <laughs> I feel shitty. Sorry it took me so long to figure that out. All right.
How lethal is it? ISIS-K has carried out hundreds of attacks since its founding and dozens of attacks this year alone. It targeted Afghan parliamentary elections and sought to subvert democratic processes in Afghanistan. It attacks, uh, its attacks are brutal, targeting civilian centers, including hospitals, universities, and even maternity wards. They are much more willing to conduct high-profile civilian attacks, Jones told CBS News. In May, ISIS-K targeted a school for girls in Kabul, killing 85 and wounding 275 students, according to a Defense Intelligence Agency assessment. In August 2020, an ISIS-K assault on the largest prison complex in Jalalabad left at least 29 dead after jihadists attempted to free dozens of supporters captured by Afghan forces. Retired Lieutenant General Michael Nagata, a former strategy director for the National Counterterrorism Centers, said that their attacks are strategically effective, if reprehensible, because they can cow an entire population by terrorizing everyone. Nagata, now a distinguished senior fellow in national security at the Middle East Institute, witnessed the rise of ISIS in Iraq and Syria firsthand in 2014 while serving as the commander of U.S. Special Operations Forces in the Middle East. He said that a Navy SEAL he knows summed up the difference between Al-Qaeda and ISIS this way. Fighting Al-Qaeda is hard because they really want to fight. Fighting ISIS is harder because they really want to die. How likely is it to achieve its goal of forming a so-called caliphate in Afghanistan as ISIS did in Iraq and Syria for a time? Well, it may not have the capacity at this moment, but Thursday's attacks are viewed as an enormous boost and in inspiration to extremists worldwide. Intelligence officials believe that images will be a very effective recruitment tool for terrorist groups beyond ISIS-K. More extremists can be expected to travel to Afghanistan to organize to start plotting attacks. The country's mountainous, landlocked terrain makes it notoriously difficult to detect ISIS-K fighters without a human source network on the ground, which will be the case when the U.S. military completes its withdrawal. Could there be another ISIS-K attack before the U.S. withdrawal is complete on August 31st? The chances are high. CENTCOM Commander General Kenneth McKenzie said Thursday that the threat to U.S. forces is very real that there are extremely active threat strains against the airfield. Those threats range from rocket attacks, which the U.S. can counter with its anti-missile systems at the airport, but also vehicle-borne suicide attacks and more walk-in attacks carried out by people wearing suicide vests. The U.S. is trying to balance two objectives, maximizing the number of Americans and Afghans they can evacuate and complete the military drawdown, but the crowds continue to mass at the Kabul airport in the crush to make it out before August 31st, and as long as there are crowds and a U.S. military presence, there's a big target available to ISIS-K and other terrorist groups operating in Kabul. Alright, so, is Biden a complete idiot for getting us out in this way? I don't think so, and I don't think he's going to be seen that way. In, in the long run, I think he's doing the right thing, getting us out of an unwinnable situation it's just no one in all of history first it was england then it was russia now it's us no one has been able to occupy and eradicate terrorism or instill any sort of effective uh government in this region no one not even themselves so we need to cut our losses period and august 31st i'm hoping as long as the Pentagon doesn't get its way, is going to be the end of it. Now, 
what are we going to get in that vacuum? Well, for a little bit, there's going to be an influx of terrorism and an influx of potential terrorists. But without our constant involvement, that's going to diminish. It's going to be spread from imperialist America, the direction that they're facing, to each other and their own different terrorist cells like Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and ISIS-K. And I would personally much rather they destroy themselves with terror than focus on us because we just have to get our fingers in everyone's pudding. There's no reason to be there unless you're into drug trafficking. That's the only reason to be in that region. And if we're not, then get that fuck out. So, what do you guys think here? Let me scroll back up. Um, let's see. Some places just concentrate energy in indestructible ways. Uh, but Trump destroyed ISIS, though. <laughs> yeah, obviously, Jason. <laughs> he totally did. Um, they fear not to kill, often brutally. Not sure what that's in relation to. ISIS and the Taliban fighting over territory could get interesting. Well, that's what I'm saying, Jason. As long as we're not in the middle of it, I say grab your popcorn and lean in, right? But if it's our brothers and sisters who are dying, no. No. There's no reason. There's zero benefit to America to do that, as we've seen for the past 20 some odd years. It doesn't make sense. Um, let's see. Not extremist enough. All right, they have your attention. Yeah. When uh, the Taliban is not extremist enough for you, you may be ISIS. <laughs> That's when you might know. The worldwide fact uh, checkers worked overtime while Donald Trump was in president. Was president? Yes, that's true. They did. Um, in a time of global misinformation campaigns, having everyone your leader say double checked is great asset. Yes, for everyone. There's there's another side to this though, and it's that though the majority of Afghanistan and most places where terror cells you know, are in control of any, in any semblance of, of reality. It's because there's a lack of information. But we've seen the stark opposite of that become an issue here at home as well, is that the extreme connection to information means the flood of misinformation. And we in America are suffering under that more than ever. And it has divided us more than ever. I grew up in an era where it didn't matter what political party you were associated with. You generally did not talk about religion or politics because it could cause problems. It was called a civil society. You would just tip your hat to the person, ask them how their day was, and you moved on. Now, if you're not making some sort of political comment and enraging someone and then standing up to them and mocking them and trying to uh, destroy their lives online, calling their employers, trying to out them for some bad behavior that you disagree with. We're in a completely different world. And it's not better. Our access to information and misinformation has not solved us, has not made us stronger. It's made us weaker, not just as a nation, but as a society in general. We have to get to a point where we say, it's okay, I don't have to agree with you, and I don't need you to agree with me. And more important, I don't need to hear your opinion, and you don't need to hear mine. 
if we can sit down as adults and share ideas, well then, yeah, that's great. That's a great place to, you know, engage back and forth with differing ideas. But if it's just going to disintegrate into fighting or trying to destroy each other and their lives, well, there's something seriously wrong with our culture at that point. So what's worse? Not having access to any information and just believing the terrorists that are in charge? Or having access to all of the information and not knowing what to believe and turning against your countrymen for no reason? All Al-Qaeda wanted to do when they attacked us was to destabilize and have America turn against itself. They succeeded with flying colors. Flying colors. They completely tore America apart. And as soon as they stopped, we did it. We picked up the fucking, uh, um, I can't remember what those are called in a marathon, a baton. We picked up the baton and ran with it. Like, hey, if there's not going to be a terrorist here to do it for us, how about we just destroy ourselves from within? Because we hate the way you think. Because we hate the way you look. Because we hate the way you love and fuck. Why can't you just be okay and say, hey, I don't have to agree with you. And just call it a day. That's all it takes. And this is not a left to right thing. This is not a right to left thing. This is all across the board. Everyone watching this broadcast and everyone that you're connected to. Simmer the fuck down. You don't need to accept others' ideas. They don't need to accept yours. You are only important to you. And it should be that way. Drives me nuts. Everyone's so important. Everyone has to be the one. <sighs> All right. Let's see. Remember over there with the ISIS-K, you cannot voice any of these views that we're openly talking about freely in the U.S. It's great to be... It's not just here. We're the only country with freedom of speech. The only country that I know of with freedom of speech. In Canada... You can get jailed for sentiments that are covered under free speech here in America. In Britain, you can get silenced for having ideas that we openly share here in America. So we can pretend that it's like, well, the informed parts of the world versus the uninformed. But no, the reality is we are standing alone on this pillar of free speech. And we allow it to go so far so as to incite people. But it's also a balance factor. Meaning, the more exposure that you have to this nonsense, the more you can critically filter it out. The problem is there's too many people not critically filtering out because we have been turned against each other. We're doing it to ourselves. Any information access can be addictive and can be controlled. Yeah? The open sharing of information is still fairly new to people. That's true. The generation that grew up with technological so, um, socialization will be more open-minded than any good old boy that tips their hat. I think that's fair. You see social media as a work in progress or experiment? Definitely. Uh, London has more cameras than people. I've actually heard that. Middle East has a lot of anti-American sentiment. They see this country as a big social cancer. And If you can objectively look at America then you have to accept that you can see that perspective. Ba not based on our ideology, not based on our propaganda, based on our actions. 
we have done some really horrible things as uh, as America. And there's just no getting around that. If we can accept that this is who we are and still try to become a more perfect union, not a perfect place, not the greatest place, whatever, but a more perfect union, meaning you continually try to improve on yourself, just as Satanists do individually, well, then we can move in a positive direction, right? Being aware of our dark spots in history doesn't mean that we're shitting on America. It means we're accepting the reality of it. And we're saying that that was not okay. So we're going to use that as a life experience to change direction. That's how you learn by your failures. We have to be able to acknowledge it. Uh, all right. Anyway, that's, that's what I want to talk about. I know people get all upset when I talk about this shit because they either want me to be, you know, as conservative as them or as liberal as them and, or they just think I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. So, you know, I, I get it. You don't have to listen to anything I say. You're choosing to tune in. So feel free to tune out. <laughs> Let's do a little creature feature though. Here's one that I only heard about because I was scrolling through Apple News and I just happened to see that it was saying the, uh, like it was one of those headlines. It was like um, the indie horror film that has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes that you've never heard of. And so I was like, ooh, indie horror? I need to learn about this. And so I looked it up and it's currently sitting at 95% on Rotten Tomatoes with no audience reviews, just critic reviews. It's got a 5.5 out of 10 on IMDb. So that's a huge disparity there, right? Which makes no sense. Uh, okay, so this is called The Old Ways. The logline is this. Christina, a Mexican-American reporter who returns to her hometown near Veracruz in search of a story on witchcraft, there, she's kidnapped by a group of locals, including a bruja, which is a female practitioner of witchcraft, or a witch, who believe her to be possessed by a demon. So ostensibly, it's this um, reporter who is kind of just looking to end her life. She got out of South America as a child after having witnessed her mother go through this demonic possession uh, exorcism. And it just, you know, scarred her for life. And so she fled to America where she became a, a reporter. She ended up getting addicted to drugs, trying to deal. This is all sort of, um, it's, it's not really addressed directly in the film. It's all stuff you pick up after having watched the film and some of the behavior. So there, there's not, th this film lacks in background into, in order to explain itself which I almost kind of prefer because there's not like this monologue explaining everything that happened before you dive into the film. You literally open the film with her on a bag on her head in the middle of this like tiny little village hut, right? Terrified out of her mind. And so you pick up from Torment, 
which I like. And then there's just these tiny brief little flashbacks and little interspersed scenes that you get to put together the pieces for yourself about what happened to her in her backstory in order to inform where she is right now. But ultimately, she, you know, she is in connection with an old friend from her childhood who is actually the group that uh, ended up uh, kidnapping her because she is supposedly possessed. This film blends the demonic possession with this really wonderful South American um, Latin flair that I would never have imagined needing in my life. But now that I saw it, I want more of it. Uh, you know, typically, if you're into horror, when you think about exorcism, you think about the exorcist. So it's very Catholic-centered. It's very white, you know, English type of vibe. Uh, this is very, very different. And it's one of those experiences where allowing cultures to explore ideas and share it to a mainstream audience actually enriches that audience's perception of that culture. The whole idea of the Bruja, I desperately love. I mean, I, I've always loved witches anyway, so I don't care what culture the witch comes from. This idea of women taking, uh, becoming empowered in their culture and having a sense of authority and power in what they would normally not have any voice or power in, I think is, is just in a world that is famously unjust, you know? Not that there is a thing as like, you know, universal justness or fairness, because there's not. It's just, you know, it's nice to see someone who is traditionally um, marginalized rise up and own, you know, their own power. And that's what witches have done in every culture. So to see that from the Latin perspective was really nice. To see the demonic possession where you're not sure if she's possessed. You're not sure if these people are just fanatic weirdos or if she is literally possessed. You have to, again, get into that mind frame of, okay, well, there is such a thing as demons. And if there are such thing as demons, then they can inhabit your body. And if they can inhabit your body, there must be some way to get them out. So there must be Bruja out there to do that. Right? You have to jump through all those hurdles to have stuff like this make any sense at all to you. And so... Fictionally, I can easily dive into that world, and it's one of those worlds that I love to dive into, again, because I love the ideas of demons and devils. Um, it doesn't ever really straight out show the creature or the demon or anything like that, which lends to the mystique of whether or not she is actually possessed. But to be fair, the movie pretty much leans heavy into the fact that, yeah, she is. It's up to you as a viewer to do that sort of second guessing on your own because the film really doesn't lend to it. Especially when you start to see that she is smuggled in heroin and she's shooting up. She's captive. She has to piss in a bucket. Um, it's like... It, it's like she's she's just been kidnapped and she's being held for ransom except they don't want anything except to cure her. Right? So she sees it as being tormented and all they're actually trying to do is save her life. So it's this really interesting film. And again, it mixes that sort of possession element with body horror in a really wonderful way. So if, if you're squeamish about, you know, I don't know, like, uh, you know, 
body torture and stuff like that, you're probably not going to enjoy this very much, though there's not a lot of it. There is enough to make you, you know, sort of like shout out <laughs> while you're watching the film from time to time. And there's this really great little boy in it that just pops up from time to time. And like right before they r revealed the meaning behind, you know, this whole film, I was like, you know, I figured it out right before they, they spelled it out to you. And it's just really wonderful feeling of being able to connect all the dots as you're watching it, figure the whole thing out, and then realize that you're right, rather than being, I don't know, I, I can't tell what's better, to be surprised by the plot or to be able to figure it out, to be unsure about it, and then suddenly you figured it out. You know what I mean? It's like putting a puzzle together and then you finally get the puzzle. You're like, oh, that's great, rather than putting the puzzle together and then realizing it wasn't the puzzle you were trying to put together in the first place. I don't know. I like them both, but for whatever reason, this film really paid it off for me. And there's this twist at the end that echoes my realization as a Satanist that is so powerful that I literally jumped off of the couch and I just started shouting like, yeah, as soon as the moment happened. And it... <laughs> I, I don't I don't know if other religions experience this. I don't know if other Satanists ever experienced it. But I had this ritual early on in my life, which was my own kind of a version of a baptism, um, where I had I lived in this really shitty little drugged in house, and I drew these sort of life size uh, uh, um, devils, you know, the, the four crown princes of hell on the wall. I turned up Johann Sebastian's Bach Takata and Fugue. And I just turned off all the lights, lit my candles, and I just stood there facing it and allowed the shadows to play on the images that were on the wall. And they, as they sort of came alive through the candle, and I sort of started, you know, saw like um, the air itself start to displace as if dimensionalities were being crossed. And I just turned around and I backed up into the wall and I felt the surge of, literally of the, the princes of hell like sort of, it sounds stupid and silly, but sort of just enveloping me, you know, like they were, they were embracing me as what I actually am, a Satanist. And it was this really empowering moment that it was terrifying and it was exciting. And I didn't know if what I thought was going to happen was going to happen, but it ultimately did, which brought me a profound sense of joy. <laughs> And I got a tiny sliver of a taste of that in this film at the end with that twist. And it was so thrilling that someone else has experienced or at least could portray what I felt. It was amazing. I highly recommend this to everyone else. Um, Bridget uh, Kali Canales, who plays the, the title role character, Christina, is brilliant in this film. She's fantastic. Not only is she very beautiful, but... That doesn't really matter because she's a phenomenal actress who does a really great job of both being the victim and ultimately um, the victor in this film. Um, Miranda, her friend, is played by Andrea Cortez. Luz is played by Julia Vera. Uh, Javi is played by Sal Lopez. Carson is A.J. Bowen. Postenki uh, is played by Weston Meredith. And uh, The Boy is played by Julian Lerma. It was released the 4th of April, 2021. The music is brilliant. It was by Ben Lovett. It was written by Marcos Gabriel, and it's directed by Christopher Allender. It is 
worth a watch. And especially if you connect with those darker elements, like I just talked about, you're going to really dig this film. You're going to really dig it. So check it out. It's on Netflix right now. If you have Netflix, again, it's free. You just turn it on and watch it. If you don't have Netflix, I think Netflix is like eight bucks a month or something like that. So you can just get it for one month. That's half the price of a theater ticket to see one film. Plus there's everything else on there that you can watch. So I think it's personally worth it. So check it out. Let's see. A uh, body full of electrical surges filling up the gaps of your atoms and molecules. All right. Not sure what you're talking about there, but yeah. Check it out. That's all I have for you. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I know the time is completely dependent on what I have going on that day. I appreciate you guys being able to either adjust your time schedule in order to check in live or check it out after the fact. For me, the strength of this show is you, the live audience. I love that more than anything. So I appreciate you guys tuning in and sharing your thoughts and um, having a bit of conversation amongst each other as well. I just, you know, it's, it's just like a little communal activity that is a little bit of fun. So thank you very much for that. Uh, those of you who want to support this channel, of course, subscribe. That's the most important thing. Like the videos and share them if you enjoy them. Sign up to the email list if you want to find out what show I'm going to be doing next and who I'm going to be talking to or what topic I'm going to be covering. And ultimately, if you want to learn more about Satanism and the Church of Satan, check out the Satanic Bible. Read it. And the churchofsatan.com website, there is a ton of Satanic information, essays, knowledge that you can completely digest in your own time. It's all there free. Check it out. It's worth it. So do yourselves a favor. Thank you all so much. Until next week, hail Satan.